The Stateside Soccer Show is now covering Ted Lasso. If that's a joke, I love it. If not, I cannot wait to unpack that with you. That's no joke. The Stateside Soccer Show now presents Believe Cast. We aren't talking about faith or ghosts. Do you believe in ghosts, Ted? I do. But more importantly, I think they need to believe in themselves. We are talking Ted Lasso episode recaps. So sit back, get ready for us to discuss all the tea. You know, I always figured that tea was just going to taste like hot brown water. And you know what? I was right. Yeah, it's horrible. Hello and welcome to Believe Cast, presented by the Stateside Soccer Show. My name is Jordan Wiegan, and with me today, somebody that is, you're definitely in the office, is, right, Logan? Yeah, um, I'm totally in the office right now. Get up um, to my office as soon as you can, please. Yeah, I will, uh, I'll be right there. As long as you don't have me in your phone as like, uh, I don't know if we can, can we cuss on this podcast? I don't know if we're allowed to, like, is the S word a bad word? For this I would podcast? say we're probably okay to say any word they say in this show. Okay. Well, as long as you don't have me in your phone as shithead, because I literally <laughs> love that so much. <laughs> me too. Um, Yeah, no, we are here. This is Logan Stump with me today, as always, talking Ted Lasso. And today we are talking episode three. Trent Krim, The Independent, written by Jane Becker, directed by Tom Marshall, and it aired uh, with the previous two episodes on August 14th of 2020 on Apple TV. So we'll kind of talk about that at the end um, on if we felt like this is a really good spot to end the first batch of episodes. Um But yeah, so uh, the synopsis here, to enrange an in-depth expose Rebecca pairs cynical journalist Trent Krim with Ted for a day. Ted and Roy venture into the community. Logan, give me your thoughts on Trent Krim, the independent, the episode. Yeah, I think when I when I realized that this episode was going to be Trent Krim, um, I was super excited just because the first interaction that Ted and he have, it's just like we said, we he plays that voice that you need to be like this is absolutely absurd this is a joke um i think he says are you effing kidding me like this is this should never have been happening uh some random football coach in america comes and takes over this premier like premier level side um but as soon as it was uh, announced jordan um, which was obviously the time that we turned it on um because they have a hard time not giving you the title of the episode anymore but i it was easily one of the most anticipated uh episodes i think of the first season that i had and it doesn't disappoint so i'm, I'm excited to get into this just because he is one of my favorite characters in the show yes no i agree i think this is uh as i'm re-watching all these i've gotten ahead of where we are <laughs> i think this might be my favorite episode of season one at least i really like Trent Krim as a character, but I really liked this episode where somebody that was so cynical to Ted, right? Like you said, he says, is this an effing joke, right? Um, that Ted is the manager. And, and one, he pointed out that he had never coached a professional side. You know, he kept, uh, coached uh, Division Two NCAA football. Now you can say 
you know, uh, NCAA football at times, right, is very pro level in the meaning of uh, the money that this thing generates and the money that this thing uh, brings to the coaches. Some of these coaches, Jim Harbaugh, you know, uh, have huge contracts with their teams. Um, but uh, Ted was division two. So again, he's not like coaching at that level. His most famous achievement is winning a division two title and dancing with his players in the celebration. That's it. That's what people know him from. It's not like he's even a famous NCAA coach, right? Like Scott Van Pelt opens up episode one saying like, this is who's getting hired and shows us a clip of him dancing. And that seems to be all they really know about Ted. Um, So that's interesting uh, as well in that case. But so you have Trent who's so putting all this on the table in the middle of a press conference. And by the end of this episode, he will say he's not rooting for him to fail. So it's a, while that still sounds like not like a great spot that Trent's in, it is almost a full 180 from where he was before um, with this. And and this is all Rebecca's plan backfiring here where Rebecca wanted this to happen. She wanted this to happen because uh, she said Trent Krim has a lot of sway. He's people that are, that, that he's somebody that the people of um, Richmond, the fans of Richmond look up to and read all of his stuff and think if we can get him to write this scathing thing, the fans will really be on him. Now, of course, I kind of question Rebecca here because the fans already felt pretty against him when they were shouting wanker at him as he walks onto the field for his very first game without giving him a chance. So I'm not sure if she needed to do this, but she had to pivot after the whole um, photo that we ended the last episode with. The last episode in our last recap, we end with Rebecca telling Higgins, Let's do this. Let's get that photo on the front page of the sun. We open up this episode, Logan, with uh, an alarm clock. (laughs) I don't think so, Jordan. It's a wrong kind of show. (laughs) So with an alarm clock and it's reading six o'clock, there's so many times for that to go wrong. (laughs) And we have... We have Rebecca all happy and giddy. She's waking up. She's getting herself together. And she goes in. She picks up her copy of The Sun. She looks at it, and it's not on the front page. And she keeps, you know, shuffling through the pages. It's nowhere to be found. And uh, she calls uh, She calls Shithead. She calls Higgins right up. And, you know, she asks uh, if he is in the, you know, in the training grounds. And he says, yes, while we see him obviously eating breakfast with his family. And he has to bolt and get there as soon as possible. And uh, that'll come back later. I really like, I really like that part. But yeah, so that's kind of like the start of the episode. And uh, Ted comes in and talks to Rebecca for a bit. And then we then we get the credits. We go into the credits. Um, but 
yeah, so there is no story of Ted and Keeley there. Rebecca's a little confused. We'll find out later on in this episode why that is the case. But then we kind of cut right to after the credits, Ted and Coach Beer talking about their offense. And uh, <laughs> Ted draws the whole offense and then erases it mad. You know, and he's like, you might ask yourself why I did all of that, but I just wanted, I was so mad at it, right? Um, so upset. He want, really wanted to make that point. And we get Nate uh, getting asked about any ideas, and he comes up with uh, the the Jamie as a decoy. And uh, a good fun part here is Ted and Beard starting to strut out of the office and getting Nate to do so with his weird hands in the middle, almost like a prayer, but with fists as he rocks them side to side as he's strutting out of the room. And then they go the wrong way, right? And then they have to go back the other way. But um, your thoughts here on uh, on Ted maybe uh, getting some advice from Nate, the kit man, as this is going to become a big deal when Trent visits. Yeah, it, it's one of my favorite scenes because I, I always forget that that's that scene where he does the whole hand thing because it comes back later in the episode. And there's a gift, Jordan, that exists. And it was actually like there's a team's uh, like gift that he's doing this. And I'm just like, I want to use it all the time. But it's it's just but it, it's funny because Nate is so um, not confident. And I love when he when he's talking and uh he's like nate did you have something and he nate starts to talk and it's not loud enough and ted turns and he goes oh i'm sorry i have a hard time hearing people who don't believe in themselves and then he starts to talk a little louder and him and beard go oh man nate what are you doing why are you yelling you don't need to yell um but it's just a good moment of beard and ted um kind of having this like ushering in of Nate as somebody that they're going to listen to and trust. And I think Nate sees that as a cool opportunity because he's like, these guys are listening to me. I just came in to empty the trash. Like I'm, I'm the kit man. Like, why do I have a say in what these coaches are doing at this top level of club? Um, and we'll get into it a little bit with Trent um, because I'll save that for like what they say about uh, Nate and that interaction, but yeah, no, this is a great one. I like Jordan too. When they're, when they exit the office, they go right. And then all of a sudden you see him go back left and he's like, Oh, sorry. You think if I, you think I'd been here a while, I don't even know where I'm going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like that part a lot. Uh, then they run into Keely, right? Ted runs into Keely and she's like, uh, he asks her how everything's going and she's like, Oh, it's going great. And he's like, great. She's like, can I talk to you? And then she's like, everything's not great. Right. Uh, she shows the picture of um you know ted wiping the ketchup off of her face from episode two right and uh she was able to stop it due to having somebody that works there and they were only able to stop it for 24 hours so there's still a timer here at this point of the episode of how can we get this you know to stop and uh <laughs> Keely makes some great points. You know, when she says you don't know the power of rhyming in this country, look up, if you're not familiar with the sun or any of those British rag mags, it is so much rhyming. And Keely gives some examples here of what it could be, right? Jamie's tart breaks tart's heart. Lasso makes Paso and crates team fiasco, uh, which are two really great. I love, I laugh at that scene every time. Cause I think they're just, I think if you're not familiar with it, because our country doesn't do that as much. I mean, maybe the New York Post, right? But that doesn't have the stranglehold on 
our zeitgeist the way that like the sun does in uh in england you know which you know we see it all the time because we watch soccer stuff but you know when they in 2010 when they got their world cup group and they spelled easy they spelled england algeria slovenia yanks and uh they did not win that group by the way but it's stuff like that they make acronyms out of it they'll do rhyming out of it um and uh, they'll do stuff like that to the Royals. They'll do it for uh, football stars, other celebrities that they'll do that stuff to. And uh, it is very cruel um, that they do that. And uh, you know, look, there's also a lot of biases in that case. Um, we've seen that with people like Marcus Rashford, right? Who can do all this good of helping little kids get food during the pandemic. And they'll still make these awful rhyming front page headlines but then or judge him on how he's spending his money but then they'll also applaud somebody like a um uh grealish for the way like oh he bought a new lambo or something you know and they'll be like oh he's fashionable but if marcus rashford does it's like why is he doing that and it's these like uh you know kind of racial biases at times in english newspapers um that that contribute to this stuff not that it affects it here but you know, just something to kind of uh, keep an keep an eye on as well. Yeah, I think that their newspapers too they embellish a lot. So um, you'll notice that with soccer, I think that's something that goes like understated in the show. But I think if people are watching it that are fans of the English Premier League, like transfers are always rumored. Like they put stuff that are rumors in the paper, and it's weird for the U.S. because I don't think we really. We speak much more like with a bias um, of what political spectrum you're on, um, whereas I think England, like all, it's all tabloid. It feels all like clickbaity. What happened? Did I say something? Oh no! I just looked up this this newspaper from the Sun. Uh, are you ready for this one? This is an example of the Sun. Um, okay, it's about England and Algeria from from 2010 World Cup. Rue blows fuse over booze. It's about Rooney blowing his fuse over being booed. So they nickname him Rue. Uh, so it rhymes. Rue <laughs> blows fuse over booze. They make shit up. Yeah. <laughs> so these are the examples of, you know, where we, uh, wh- where they get those uh, rhymes and what she's. Um, uh, here's an okay. W- when they drew Iran for the world cup it's iranian men hallelujah instead of it's raining men all right like this is what the sun is famous for and that is what keely's referring to if you're not familiar with that that's funny though uh rue blows fuse over booze um okay uh we have Higgins rushing in. He he's finally arrived. He throws his suitcase uh, as he's getting ready to walk in, and he's like, "So many people were stopping and talking to me on my way up here," <laughs> which I know Rebecca doesn't buy. Who's talking to Higgins? Right, right. Like who's right. who's stopping Higgins? Like Higgins, we need your opinion on this. Um, other than Ted, if Ted was here, but um, then we have Ted and Keely walking in. And Ted bringing in the suitcase saying like, Hey, we've the briefcase, you know, like, Hey, we found this out there. Uh, is this yours type thing? Um, which I thought was, uh, was a great, 
great bit with Higgins because uh, he he rushes here and immediately gets sent right to go off on another errand for Rebecca like immediately. So he he's not even like getting a moment to breathe. I love that scene when he comes up with the with the with the briefcase. It's just like typical Higgins. Um, I I just like the progression of Higgins, but we can't talk about it yet. Uh, it's just it's so nice, but it's. I love I love when Ted comes in in this scene because it's like I think he goes up and they he and Keeley are great together whenever they come into Rebecca's office and they're like uh, Ted uh, walks up to the desk and he's like I'd hate to see you and uh, Michelle Obama arm wrestling but then again I think it'd be a lot of fun and I probably couldn't look away because their arms are so like toned um, and he just makes a comment of that and then Keeley also goes along with what Ted's saying and kind of like propping Rebecca up um, and there's multiple times. And I think it's just genuine. Like Ted really does care for Rebecca. Like he cares about the stuff that she's gone through. So you'll see a lot of that dynamic where Ted is much like, that's my boss. She gets stuff done. That's why I like her. And he does it. I think I can't remember if it's this episode or sort of the next where he's like, yep, she gets it done. See, Oh no, it was this episode. Cause it was talking about like, I'll call the son because Rebecca was going to call the son because she knows people there. And that's when Keeley's like, Hey, you know, Keely. God. Yeah. Right. I know the owner of the son, you know, God, <laughs> that's an awesome one. I love that. And I think it was this episode too. I don't know if it was this time or before. And he walked in and it was like a bad time or something. And it was like the branding one and Ted, or she goes, yeah, sorry, Ted, this is the branding. And he goes, Oh, I hate it when those cows get, or I hate when those cows don't get branded because then they get lost. I think it was in the opening. Yeah. I think it was, was in the, it opening the opening when she one? was, yeah, before credits. Cause he does go in there and talk to her about something, but I didn't write down what they talk about. So that's my bad. Here. Yeah. I don't think uh, it was anything. I think it was just like he these are the most extensive notes I've taken at yet. Cause I was watching it while taking the notes because I was in this room. And before I usually like, I was watching it on the couch and then would, make the notes later so they were always a little rougher but i still should have wrote that down but uh <laughs> yeah so keely says rebecca has perfect action figurey arms which i think is great and, you know ted has the whole thing about arm wrestling with michelle obama but we also get a great higgins line here that i i really like when he says i'm not a spy rebecca i'm a director of football operations and she says equally proficient at both <laughs> and he says thank you and then he thinks on it for a second <laughs> yeah i, I didn't uh, get that quote i couldn't get it down i didn't want to rewind it i'm like maybe jordan will have it because like it's a great one yeah and i was gonna look yeah. it up because it's a fantastic one and you just you can tell because he's like so matter of fact and he's like wait yeah. Wait. Well, hold up. <laughs> that's that's an insult. That's a backhanded compliment, right? Compliment. Um, so then we go to practice, and the play works, right? Uh, they do the they do the the dummy play. It works, um, and then they all have to run laps. And if they lose to Ted, they have to run four more. Um, I don't think any of the players lost. I think Beard loses. Yeah, right? I think he yeah he loses, and then he says something to Beard about it later on. I can't remember what it is, but it was like, you're not a track star beard. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Uh, so Ted has given all of them gifts. They all open up these gifts. It's books. And Roy gets a wrinkle in time, which is about a story of a young girl struggle with leadership as she journeys through space, as Trent Krim will say. Uh, Jamie Tart gets uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald's The, da the Beautiful and the Damned. It's a 1922 tragedy about selfish people who end up rich but unfulfilled. So 
if you're getting the theme here. Sam Obasanya receives Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card, which is a story heavy with themes of imperialism, understanding the other, and being underestimated. And I said this ties in great with their previous conversation from Sam's birthday when he hands the soldier back and they say about imperialism, but also with Sam being an underestimated player on the team. So I think this is another good good book there. And then a lesser character known Robbie Roberts gets a copy of Miss Peregrine's Home of Peculiar Children by Ransom Riggs, which is a youth fantasy about a group of children with different abilities coming together in a community. That's a reference to the team becoming one. Um, but yeah, so we, we, you know, that's great. I wish we could have seen more of these. I had to look up, I looked up a website that was able to tell me what all of them were. I was able to see the first three, but I did not see Robbie with the, with his, but I really wish we could have got more. I was hoping there was like other shots of it that I could see. Um, so we could dive in a little deeper with these and see what Ted thinks of each member, but we really only get these four. Yeah, these are good. Like these are, this is brilliant. Uh, I always think of the writing in this show and I'm like, this is absolutely brilliant because the literature, and it's funny because it's like, it's literature that we probably have all read at one point. And it's usually when we were kids, like those are, you know, a lot of those, not the imperialism, but um, A Wrinkle in Time. I remember reading that for summer reading. Um, I can remember A Wrinkle in Time. We never read that at our school. No, it's a great, it's a great book. Um, I've never read any of these. Yeah. It, they, that one's good. And then Ashley read the Peregrine, uh, Miss Peregrine's, uh, the, it's got a bunch of the kids that are like orphans. And they all come together, they have special abilities. Yeah, they got a movie too, don't they? Mm-hmm. The movie's not as good from, I think she watched it, but, uh, but she, it yeah, she rarely is. Yeah. Um, Eva Green is in it and Samuel Jackson. Mm-hmm. Huh. But yeah, no, these, this is brilliant writing. Um, and I'm like you, Jordan, I wish I would have had more shots and cause we'd have had more to kind of go off of what Ted thinks of each character. Yeah. Yeah. I really like getting that. Um, you know, Roy kind of freaks out of this. It's like, what is this about? Right. Like, and then he doesn't get his answer at this point, but he's just kind of like, you're giving us books. Like we got like games to worry about here. Why are you giving us these books? Um, but Roy is also going to take the time to speak to Ted about Nate being bullied. And Ted is like, yeah, I know. And he's like, so you're not going to do anything about it? He's like, no. And first you're thinking this kind of goes against Ted's thought process here. But Ted says, you know, if a teacher, right, if you're thinking about them as teachers, this is true. If a teacher tells you not to pick on somebody, it makes it worse because those bullies now think of you as like, I don't know, like a teacher's pet or something. Right. And they're they're going to act out that way even more. Um, unfortunately. So that, that was Ted's thought of, if I say it, they're not going to stop it, especially at a person they don't respect right now. They don't respect Ted because he's American, because he doesn't know uh, football, right? That they're not about to listen to him anyway. And Ted knows that. And that is why he is setting it up for um, Roy. And uh, this is when Beard's like, why are you winding him up like this? And he says, if we need to make an impact here, he's the first domino that needs to fall. Um, And we'll see that by the end of this episode. So there's no spoilers there of him kind of starting to buy in. Right. 
of uh, when he reads this book later on and yells the F word, he understands now what he has to do. And he immediately gets up and he immediately goes and heads, butt Colin and t- tells off Jamie. So at that point, he knows what he needed to do. And Roy is the player that they all look up to except for Jamie. So that is also why he's the first domino that needs to fall is if you can get him, we talked about this before, I think in the first episode, if you can get Roy, you're going to be able to get most of those players because they're going to look up to who is the captain of the team, which is Roy Kent and a player that won a champions league with Chelsea in 2012. So uh, they're going to look up to him and we'll, you know, learn more reasons why they might look up to him in other episodes. But this is pivotal, right? For Ted's tenure at, uh, at Richmond right now. This is a beautiful scene. Uh, I like the, I just like, I, I think what it is, Jordan, and I think they did this purposely because I don't think it really does exist. And now that I'm thinking through, like it kind of does in like basketball, I've seen basketball locker rooms like this, but like where the manager's office has that big glass window that Ted and Beard can basically observe everything going on. And they narrate almost as like, here's what's going on in the locker room to kind of explain to people that like in sports, the team captain, the one with the most experience, the one that has better in leadership, while the guys might not like be best friends with him, not, not like him a ton, they respect them because of what he's gone through. And that's exactly how I think a lot of them view Roy. But Roy's kind of gone to this like grumpy, like uh, I always think of him like, um, what's the, what is the Oscar the Grouch? Like I always think of him like that because he's now that he's had those Sesame Street <laughs> episodes. Um, but he is, he just, it, this is a great scene. Uh, and then you see Roy like start to come alive. And this is when we finally get to see that, like, I think Roy is going to fall down as this first domino. Yes. Uh, on the other side of this thing here, Roy says, I'm going to go speak to Jamie. He speaks to Jamie who almost it's kind of like this teetering thing here, right? Where it seems like he gets the message. He goes up to Isaac and Colin and says, Hey, you guys, you know how you do that stuff. And then he gives himself a thought like this is great acting performance here for, um, uh, for I'm blanking on his name. I'm pulling it up here uh, for Phil Dunster who plays Jamie Tart? We can kind of see that moment where it switches for him. He's like, you know what? No, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to tell him, keep up the good work. It's making me laugh. Right. And, uh, so at this point, Roy thinks he has it handled until they come back in, uh, after practice. Right. And they're still like, what do they, do they pick him up and start whipping him with the towel or yeah. something? Yeah. And, uh, Roy, has enough at this point. He's going to get up. He's going to go out to the parking lot with no shirt on. This is where he's going to run into Keeley. Um, but before we get to that, let's go back to Higgins, who the, this is the next day. Higgins is on time at the water cooler. And Rebecca calls this out immediately. Like, did you just get here and like stand here? So, you know, I know that you're here on time, right? And this is when Rebecca says it's fine if they don't run the photo because she'll still be able to find a way. And this is when she announces that she is set up uh, for Trent Krim to follow around Ted. And that's when 
uh, Trent is going to arrive to practice, and Jamie gives some more problems here about the decoy play. He doesn't like it. He doesn't like... He wants to be the one scoring goals, right? And when they learn that Nate made the play, uh, Trent is like, you're... You know, we kind of mentioned this earlier. You're, you're letting a kit man come up with plays for a Premier League side. And, you know, Ted has some wise words here about like how, how smarter Nate is and how much he knows more about the game than uh, he'll forget more about the game than Ted will ever know about the game. And I, th- I think it's kind of like this hypocritical thing a bit on Trent's end, right? Of, all right, you know nothing about soccer, so why are you here? But then when he's leaning on somebody that knows soccer, it's not good enough still because he's the kit man. But what people don't really realize at times is sometimes you just got to get your foot in the door, right? Um, I mean, how many of these, like if you look at our coaching structure, it's either made up of former players over here, or sometimes they played high school, didn't go anywhere, and then turn into coaches, but they have to start out like, Look, John Harbaugh, coach of the Ravens, right, started as a special teams coordinator at the Eagles and was able to get a head coaching job. I'm sure if you were like, you let a a special teams coach run a whole team, people would be like, what? But, you know, I'm sure there are some people that come through those levels. I mean, Kurt Warner was once bagging groceries before he was a quarterback in the National Football League. So there's, there's levels to this where, with Trent, it's like, you know, you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't when it comes to Ted, right? It's, you're not good enough, you don't know the knowledge, but also when you're leaning on somebody that does know the sport, it's still not good enough because it's not who I think you should be looking at. It speaks to leadership too, I think, in the in the U.S. Uh, and maybe in just in general, where I, especially in men, um, I know that there's a lot of people that I've I've been under leadership uh, where the leader will do everything to protect the fact that they're going to always want to be right. They cannot be wrong, and they cannot admit that somebody else came up with something. They've got to take credit for a lot of the successes that they've had, and they're not easily going to pass that to somebody else. Say like. I'm only successful because, you know, in this instance, because of so-and-so. And And so many times, really bad leaders have a tendency to do that. They have a tendency to take credit for whatever it is that you do. They take credit for the work that you've done, the time that you've put into it, the hours that you've put into it. They want to reap the benefits of that. And then they don't like to be told that they're wrong in what they're doing. So they try to cover that up with things that they just, they might be lying about that they don't know. Um, and I feel like Ted's the total opposite. Like, I feel like Ted is quick to go, oh, no, no, that wasn't me. Like, that was totally Nate the Great. And he's like, who the hell is Nate the Great? Um, and it really is because Ted genuinely thinks that Nate is great. He thinks Nate is wise upon his years. Um, and I think that because of all the knowledge that Nate's kind of absorbed in the teams that he's been in, I think Ted really does respect Nate. Um, and you kind of see that grow and grow as the episodes go on is that that reliance upon Nate because he and Beard, seriously, Beard's the same way. They kind of look to both of them. They, Beard and Ted look to Nate and go, you know way more. Teach us because I'm happy to learn because I want to be. Ted is the motivator, right? Yeah. He's the one that's going to make this a cohesive locker room while Beard even knows more tactics than than Ted, right? Beard is the one that read the book on the plane that we pointed out in the first episode. 
in in was it episode two when they face palace that he's like he's the one that says lots of speed on the outside he's the one that knows the team he does the scouting he understands but ted doesn't need to know that what ted needs to know is how can i get my players in the best position to become great men that can rely on each other and be a team and i'll let these other two come up with the actual tactics and that happens sometimes. If we're looking at world football, Jurgen Klinsmann, Philip Lom tore him a new one in his book. If you want to read a book about Jurgen Klinsmann, Philip Lom had a whole book about how Jurgen Klinsmann didn't know anything about tactics, how awful he was, and uh, with all of that stuff. But they still made like third place in 2006. Now, when Jurgen Klinsmann goes to the U.S., things go a little differently. But he was kind of a dividing force in the locker room. But the person that was running up all the tactics and stuff was Yergi Lowe, who took over for Klinsman after he was done and won a World Cup. So th- this is not something new to football either, though. You know, this is something that uh, Trent should be aware of. But again, it's just kind of like looking down at him. And he'll do kind of like a his version of a one, 180 later on. But... Um, so Roy stops Nate's bullying. He goes out, meets, uh, Keely and Keely gives, uh, well, Roy gives a really bad Ted impersonation. It's like Yosemite Sam, right? <laughs> so good. <laughs> and then you have Keely giving a really good Roy impersonation here. Um, but yeah, you know, Roy even has to admit, he's like, that was, that was pretty good. Keely is really good at that. Like, I was shocked at how good that act, like, she is at being able to kind of mimic how Roy is or, like, Brett is in that scene. Just, like, even the facial expression and, like, the, like, he gets, like, real hunchback whenever he does it. And it's great. I love, I love Keely. Trent is in Ted's office. Uh, he's wandering around, looking around, and, you know, Ted says he kind of reminds him of a Roomba, you know, just kind of going around. Um, And then he brings up the fact that Ted threw a party after a loss. We didn't talk about this last week. It kind of slipped through our grasp, I guess. But Jamie, again, had another moment where he's on board. He tells Trent, you know, I'm just part of 11 out there. But then he's like, "Mm, no, I'm not part of 11. They threw... uh, they threw a party in there after a loss. Now he leaves out the key information that it was Sam's birthday, which, you know, Ted's going to um, not even bring up that in this part as well with Trent. What he says is he never concerns himself with wins or losses, which Trent immediately laughs at and says, this is definitely going in, you know, in the paper. Um, And then Ted says, Hey, let's go meet some kids you know we're going to his school and Trent's like of course the day I'm following you happens to be the day you go there which I want to ask you was this set up was this a coincidence or was this set up because Trent was was following him I feel like it's a coincidence just because of what Ted says I think the quote is something along the lines of like you know the funny thing about coincidence it happens whenever you're expecting it to happen kind of thing. Yeah, like sometimes it happens. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I love that line. And I think it is speaking to just like the fact that I think it is a coincidence. Honestly, I think it's just the fact that like, yeah, Trent, you're here. I don't think Ted knew, did he? Like, I don't think Ted 
knew that Trent was going to be there. And I don't think I think Higgins Rebecca says Rebecca okay. tells him at the beginning of okay. the day. I couldn't remember. But this is stuff that's usually booked in advance, right? This is, like, yeah, this, this is, is like PR and stuff. Yeah, booked in advance. Not um, stuff the owner or the coach would know. They'd just be like, "Okay, you're going here to the school. You don't have a choice." <laughs> like right, it's not right. awful, but they don't like. And most of them don't. They don't care. They want to go. Like they offer up there. But a lot of times, like Jamie, could you imagine Jamie Tart being told you have to go to a school? He'd be like, oh, "Hell no." A lot of times, it's in their contracts uh, for players and, and stuff, especially over here. I'm not. I'm not too familiar with England uh, set up with that kind of stuff. But over here, you know, you'll have like baseball players, football players, soccer players, basketball players going to like schools. They'll throw, they'll do like charity stuff that they're having events for. Um, they'll do all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> so you would think that this is probably in Ted's contract and it probably wasn't a coincidence since the whole Trent thing was set up that day. Um, the only reason I ask is because at one point Ted says to Roy, like, thank you for doing this as if it was a spur of the moment thing. So um, that's what I, that's what I wonder. Keely comes in to visit Rebecca. This is where they bond over about how the press treats the women. And uh, Rebecca mentions she had like a nude pic taken of hers on a, from a helicopter while she was on a boat. And she shares it with Keely, who is thoroughly impressed. Keely kind of sounded like the first coach of Richmond, right? <laughs> when he says impressive chest, she pretty much says those words. Um, but yeah, uh, this this is kind of where we start to see some cracks and maybe the stone wall, stone walled face of Rebecca here. I had never noticed this until I was listening to a podcast uh, for this episode, and just to kind of see what they say about it and like how we talk about it. Um, and they brought up an interesting point where Rebecca, when she when Keely first comes in, Rebecca closes her laptop, and then Keely sits down on the couch, and Rebecca's kind of like, "What the hell are you doing here? Like, why, why?" But Rebecca never, ever, and you kind of wait for that, don't you? Like you're anticipating Rebecca turning to Keely and going, why are you in my office? Get out of my office. Because she does it to Higgins. She kind of does it to Ted. She passes him along, like, get out of my office. Or anybody that comes to that office, she's just kind of like, get out of my face. But she never does it with Keely, ever, not once. And what was really interesting is they said that, like, it was kind of cool, that moment of, like, Keely basically you know, building this woman up because in so, you know, in so many instances, it would be, you know, easy for Keely to go, what's wrong with you? Why did you do that? That's gross. Like, but they build each other up. And they, I think that's a cool dynamic that they're able to kind of two strong female, like figures able to build each other up and not try to tear each other down. And that's what Keely does. And then Rebecca goes, Rebecca opened the laptop to show Keely the picture. She didn't try to hide it. She was opening up kind of that, you know, metaphor of opening up to Keely saying, this is what I've done in my past. And Keely didn't judge her one bit. Keely's like, congratulations. Like, this, this is great. So. Well, because it's it's hard to judge her, right? Because she was literally minding her own business on a beach, probably tanning, like on a yacht. And uh, some sickos. A helicopter comes over. <laughs> right. and, and, and there is that that happens, right? Um, and Keely would know as well because she's been there. So I, I do like that dynamic of them both having been through it now keely hasn't been married right but she's dated a lot of men that she's used to how this goes the way that they attack maybe her in the press compared to how they would tackle rupert right as we've seen um 
and and that's the kind of stuff that stings more right for and this is what i'm talking about when you look at the sun if you really look at the sun not this thing in the sky but the, the newspaper they do treat women like this they they do and you know what's funny is rebecca even mentions that the guy who owns the sun owns the most prestigious paper right too the independent right and it shows that they can have journalistic standards that they can do the right thing and employ other people but what do they do they also employ that sleazeball from the son who was there in episode two right and that they'll run those papers because they know it gets them money they can speculate they can do all that stuff but they'll also have the prestigious paper as well uh, to hit the other demographics so you're still giving your money to the same guy that's trashing you what's even worse is Rebecca knows the owner. She has a friend who is at the paper and she still gets treated like this by the press. Now she may have it a little easier with the sun, but she's going to get it from the other papers as well. But uh, just, just interesting about how that dynamic plays out. Um, she can be rich. She can have friends there, but they're still calling her old Rebecca. I do. I, I think the line is very interesting though. It, it tells you how, men are viewed in societies compared to women like because of how beloved rupert is by the club and that community and that fan base in the world he could have he cheats on her with tons of women half his age parading them around ignoring rebecca's existence and the minute that she does something that is deemed not great in society they go after her like a pack of wolves whereas he's boasted and they just forget about it and you see that so much in society where it's just like the man can do whatever he wants because he's has money he's powerful and he's become successful and people adored him and then he did something wrong it's kind of like kind of like the matt lauer kind of thing like it always brings me back to that instance of like guys that just because they're adored they just people are willing to more like look at it go eh, well people make mistakes well there's the twisted thing that it's expected of them yeah right that's true yeah. It's expected of men to be able to get with younger women, um, trade in for a new model, as some people say. You know what I'm saying? Stuff like that, where they really degrade that. But if a woman gets with a younger man, sometimes it's scandalous. It's, oh my God, how could she do that? Or if he sleeps around, eh, it's expected. What do you mean? He's a He's a bachelor with money. He's got all this money. But if a girl sleeps around, it's oh, scandalous. It's on our front page paper, you know? And the fact that they were going to run that thing, right, of Keeley, a very innocent photo that can be taken any way, and that they can run that shows that it just kind of has that double standard. Because if Jamie has a, a side piece or anything it's not making the news right it's it's probably not making the news at all on that paper anyway uh at the school ted introduces roy and they do some header practice uh phoebe kicks the ball at ted's face making his nose bleed and it bleeds on the ball that he's signing for the little boy and then this is when roy asks about the wrinkle in time and trent explains it and <laughs> Roy says, what, you want me to be the little girl? And he's like, I'd like you to be. <laughs> That's a great <laughs> answer from Ted. But 
this is where Trent starts to see it, right? I feel like you see Trent's reaction when he mentions about the book getting a wrinkle in time. He's kind of like, hmm, like he starts to think that's interesting, especially when he describes it to, to Roy and Ted's answer to that. He's like, okay, I can see the wheels turning in Trent Crim's face, right? Um, played by James Lance. Uh, great acting performance here. But uh, we also get Trent and Ted going out to eat after this. And, you know, Trent can't eat it. And because it's too too hot, because Ted says, treat us like we're family. Because the guy who owns it is the cab driver, right? The guy who chauffeured him around in the, the limo driver. The guy who chauffeured him around in the first episode. Who said, come visit my place. Is the guy who... Uh, owns this place or runs this place with his with his in-laws and yeah they they make them the hot like the hottest way and i like when they even after trent leaves and he's like um you know he says we know how you americans like to eat so we brought out some more and it's like all right keep it keep it coming but you could tell he's like struggling a bit but logan this is a part where ted Restate says, I think I'm going to have to tell you this again because I don't think you heard me or understood me, right? I'm not, success is not about wins and losses. It's about making these young men successes on and off the field, you know, and being able to be proud of what he's done, you know, helping these men become, you know, young men become men. And uh, Trent, you know, takes it in this time. And when Ted says, you know, I had a great time today. Trent says, you know, the weird thing is you, you mean that. Like, I can tell you mean that. And this is where I think Trent is fully bought in at this point. Yeah, because Ted knows Ted knows that a, a scathing article is what Trent Krim came for. Like, and he's going to do exactly what he should do and say, Ted doesn't know jack crap about soccer or football. And, but... I think he even sees it in Trent's eyes. And I think my favorite question that Ted asked, I think my whole, my favorite interaction is the dinner scene because Ted asked the best question. He goes, Trent, what do you love? Do you love writing? And Trent's like, well, yeah, that's, you know, I love writing. I'm passionate about it. And Ted goes, well, I love coaching. And that's, that's my passion. It's not about, that's when he gets into like, that's not, it's not about wins and losses for me. It's about coaching is about developing, creating character, being able to teach somebody something and have them to go be something else that's more important in life. And I think that's the same thing that Roy starts to feel when he's at the school. Roy, I think Roy and Trent kind of have that same realization of like, Ted really does mean to be genuine. And Ted has that, or, or sorry, Roy has that instance when he's sitting in bed later on in the episode where he's like, damn it, like he's got me hooked. He's got me where he wants me, and I'm I'm buying into this crap, and and I think Trent is exactly that too. He's like crap. Like I wanted to just tear this man apart because another thing too, Jordan, is that these legacy writers over in the Premier League, like they take that game just as seriously as the players and coaches. Mm -hmm. While they write incriminating stuff sometimes or some you know good stuff or praise, they take it so seriously because they love that damn sport too. And that's that is why. a good, that is a good point, Logan, because yeah. this is something that isn't as hardwired over here, right? You have media members who grew up being fans of teams, but once they become media, they almost stop 
becoming fans because a lot of times what happens is they get a job covering a team that wasn't where they grew up. Right. And they start covering the team as if they're just covering the team. They don't have, they, they grow to like the players and the coach. They root for them to win because it makes their job easier, but they aren't like diehard fans. A lot of journalists over there are diehard because it's so ingrained over there are diehard fans of the team that they're either covering or if they cover nationally, they still have their favorite club. You Arlo know, we White. Hear, <laughs> yeah, we yeah, Arlo White's a, a diehard Leicester City fan, and you see him in this show commentating the games because he used to be the Premier League commentator for the US um, on NBC. And he's unabashedly a Leicester City fan. He'll talk about it on Twitter, but when he's commentating the games, you don't get that sense. All of their commentators are like that. Uh, you know, Derek uh, Derek Ray roots, yeah. rooting for Scotland, Gary right? Neville. Because <laughs> he was Scottish, and yeah. then uh, yeah, Gary Neville being a Manchester United fan. Carragher, Micah, like it's so weird, Jordan. If they did that over here in the U.S., people would not take you seriously. They'd be like, "No, I don't want to listen to them because they're biased." Well, we hear about it all the time, right? You, you, we had people complain about Tony Romo because they think he likes Josh Allen too much, but it's like you you get that same vibe over in uh over in England. Um now, you know, it so that so that's part of it, right? Trent is able to write a scathing thing. Ted gives him all the ingredients slogan to write the scathing thing. He gives him the killer line, and even when he describes it, you can still twist it if you're malicious. Right? You can still twist that line of he's not worried about wins or losses. Um, You can, he, he says that Nate drew up the play, the kit man. He gives him still everything to write the scathing thing. He doesn't try to twist him a certain way. Ted doesn't, like Ted doesn't say, Trent, I really need this great, I really need this great uh, review or, you know, piece in the in the news here and we get this article being read as higgins got the right higgins calls rebecca we see it say shithead again and he calls rebecca and he says hey i got the you know i i got the early advanced copy of this article we see ted walking the streets he's talking to community members he talks to the three bar people that we haven't really gotten into yet um who are the three fans that we see all the time. And uh, one of them says hi to them and the other you know, says hi to Ted. And the other two are like, dude, like we're not supposed to be, you know, digging this manager at this point. And then you also have um, him seeing the little boy that he signed the ball for. And he asked how his nose is doing, you know, and he's getting ingrained in the community and you can tell it's genuine. Right. That's the thing. You can tell when somebody's being genuine or not a lot of the times. And Trent can tell. And we get this, and Higgins has to pause at one point and he says, Now remember, I am not the one who wrote this. These are not my words. While I believe that Ted will fail here at Richmond, I won't gloat when it happens because I can't help but root for him. And Rebecca is not pleased at that and that is where this episode ends 
What a great choice, though, to have him like narrating as Ted's walking through the community and you can just see people lighting up. The people that are calling him wanker in the bar are the ones, you know, getting warmed up to him. The kids that are like, you know, called him a wanker as well uh, when he was at the school. Yeah. Warming up to him. Like, and that kid checking on him, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. People don't realize, I think, sometimes how much somebody like a manager or a player just mm-hmm. signing an item, taking time out of the out of the day how much impact that will have on the person. So while they might think, oh, this guy's a wanker, then you actually get to meet a Premier League manager who runs your team, yeah, coaches your that's team. That's massive. Mm-hmm. And he brought Roy Kent to your school. Yep. You're like, oh, he signed my ball. That's great. Like, that is awesome. And I have this speck of blood on it, too. Like, mm-hmm. that's even greater, right? Um, he'll have that story. That little kid will have that story um, as he as he grows up. And you know, we all kind of have that if, if we're fans of sports. We've met players or you've gotten something signed or you had some sort of interaction with them that either rubs you the right way or rubs you the wrong way. And this is great part. I love how it transitions from Higgins talking to Trent Krim narrating it. Um, just, just a really great ending. But well, I guess let's move on to our men. Uh, I'm calling this segment Man of the Match. All right, this is the player, AFC Richmond player of the episode. I have to go with Roy Kent again. I'm sorry, I do. He's killing it. Uh, He had some great moments in this. He goes to the school. We see Phoebe, right? That's his niece. So we we get to meet that character. We get to see a lighter side of Roy, but we also get to see him start coming around, and he goes to do a nice thing at the school. So I'm going to give my man of the match to Roy Kent. I will agree with you on this one, but I'll say a different reason just for some variety. I think the way that he goes after Jamie and he sticks up for Nate, like he really does a nice job in this episode setting a standard that I don't think existed before. And that's what a captain should do. And I think that's what's, that's what's, that is what Ted does with that book. A wrinkle in time is, is this girl's lost in space, looking for something to do somewhere to go somewhere to be her and lead. And she just doesn't know how because she's in this weird adolescent stage. She's been around, but she's quite she's not quite known her role as far as a leader is concerned. Same thing with I think Roy is he's trying to find a way to say, no, this is my team. This is the way that we're going to do things. I finally have a, a gaffer in here that's going to actually do what we need him to do. Um, so that's I think that's ultimately where I'm going to go is that it shows that Roy and they brought this up in another podcast where it's like Roy is, he believes in that idea of like valor of like, he knows what's good and what's bad. And he doesn't cross that line. Like he knows what's good for people and he will always do right. It just, I think it gives him that kind of like element as a character. And I think that's pretty cool. All right. So Roy Kent, both of our man of the match. Let's go to Richmond employee of the week. No surprise here for me. It's got to go to my man Higgins. <laughs> I love the opening. I love his reaction to getting slighted by Rebecca with the spy comment. And I love him at the end, just being like, now remember, these are not my, my words. So I'm going to have to go with, with Higgins again. I'm going to go with Ted on this one. Um, I think Ted's interactions with Trent Krim are just some of the best lines that you get. And honestly, Jordan, looking back after I've now seen season two and, and one, I think this is this has to be up there with one of my favorite episodes ever. Like this is this is a damn good episode. 
Um, and just because the interaction between Trent and Ted, um, that dinner scene, like I, like got choked up, I get goosebumps, like watching it. Cause I'm just like the, this, the fact that he went to Ali's dinner place, uh, this driver, the chauffeur, and he goes, Ted, what are you doing here? I, I always offer my guests that I drive around to come in, but Ted just has a genuine heart and you really start to see exactly how I think this is going to go with Ted. And I think people are finally starting to go, man, he might not be the tactical coach, but this guy's going to be fantastic for this team. Yes. All right. So that wraps up our coverage of episode three, Trent Krim, the independent. If you want to send us your feedback, we got some news. We have our email account, Ted Lasso rewatch at gmail.com. We also have a new Twitter uh, up as well. Just so if anybody finds it, um, I, I wanted to make a link tree for this uh, so we could share the separate feed as well. So I slapped that together today. That's at believe underscore cast on Twitter. Uh, the link tree is link tree, you know, slash believe underscore cast. And uh, if you want to reach stateside soccer show, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at stateside show, but send us all of your Ted Lasso feedback at the Twitter account at believe underscore cast or Ted Lasso rewatch at gmail.com. Thank you all for listening along and have a great rest of your week. Next time we are back with episode. What is this for? Uh, for mm-hmm. the children is the next episode that we are covering. Uh, so thank you all for listening. Have a great rest of your week.